I was advised by the owner that you're actually not supposed to eat these bits. What? Supervisor Joel Ingardio introduced the podcast team to stewed lemongrass coconut chicken soup. We started Soup with the Soups to learn how members of the Board of Supervisors are trying to deal with San Francisco's problems. This time, we're also learning a lot about soup. It's a broth soup because this is in there to create all the flavor. And she was saying that she can tell if patrons are from the part of China where the soup originates from because they know not to eat the bits. Everyone else eats everything, which is fine. But she said, if you do eat it, because it was stewed for a long time, the meat will be like very tough and dry. Oh, yeah, it looks kind of rubbery. Yeah, right? it does. Because it, and it's so, but it, it's meant to create this amazing broth. So mm. it's basically a broth. So all you're getting out of this is the broth. Mm-hmm. The broth is everything. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. This week, in the second episode of our new series, Soup with the Soups, we hear from Supervisor Joel Engardio about police staffing, the city's supervisor system, and how to support small businesses. Engardio represents District 4, which consists of a chunk of the west side, the Sunset, Parkside, and Outer Sunset. He's a former journalist. More recently, he ran the advocacy group Stop Crime SF. He's a moderate who unseated the progressive Gordon Marr in November. It was his fourth run for supervisor, his first win. Mar, the District 4 incumbent, opposed the recalls against District Attorney Chesa Boudin and three school board members. But his constituents supported those recalls, and so did Engardio. When redistricting moved Engardio's home from District 7 to District 4 last June, that position may have given him an edge. And as we'll hear, he also supports staffing up the police department. From the San Francisco Chronicle, this is SF Next, Fixing Our City. And today, our second soup with the soups. So I got to tell you, I am not a fan of coconut. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. So you're really stretching yourself uh, yeah, here. Yeah. This is actually very tasty. I mean, this is like the best of any chicken soup you can imagine because it's the broth is so intense yes. and rich. And I love that the place is called the, the Soup Yeah. on Irving Street in the Sunset. Yeah, when Extremely you, on brand for yeah. this podcast right. series. <laughs> That's right. And I, I do want to let listeners know that you're eating straight out of a coconut. A coconut. <laughs> um, the actual coconut. That's so right. if you order this coconut lemongrass chicken soup from the soup, it will be served to you in, in a, a coconut. coconut. So it's a mm. new, new place on Irving Street, which is great. So I love to see new businesses come to the sunset and on Irving and all of our business and merchant corridors, we need new innovative businesses. Was the area hit really hard by the pandemic? I mean, everyone was hit hard, but you know, what's shocking to people is that pre-pandemic in 2019, when it was boom times in San Francisco, 500 restaurants closed in San Francisco Mm. before the pandemic. So restaurants were struggling largely because of the onerous regulations and fees that City Hall imposed on small business. If you came to San Francisco as an entrepreneur and you had a great idea, City Hall did everything in its power to squash that idea and say no. So I think it's really important, certainly now, knowing what's happening post-pandemic, we need to, I say, roll out the red carpet and cut the red tape. So any entrepreneur with a good idea can run with their idea because it might be the idea that saves our local economy. We just don't know. Well, it's funny because, you know, you're talking about City Hall was standing in the way of entrepreneurship. Now you are City Hall. Well, at least you're in City Hall. What do you want to do about that? 
Yeah, I think the voters were clamoring for change on a number of issues. And so it's incumbent on me now to try to deliver that. So I'm one of 11 supervisors and only a supervisor. Like we still have a mayor and we have, you know, all different elected officials that run the city. So, but I think what I can do is continue to advocate from my position and use this platform to call on my colleagues and others to do whatever we can to help small business in particular. Zooming out a little bit from from just small business, I mean, what you're talking about, that people were clamoring for change. I think even your predecessor and your opponent in the race, Gordon Marr, acknowledged that. What kind of change are your constituents demanding at City Hall? Like, broadly speaking, what do they want to see? And you know, it's not so much change. People just want to see a basic functioning city. Oof. Right? Okay, so, throwing some shade right so after that. So it's not that we need radical change. The, the radical notion is, why can't we just get back to basics? And out in the sunset in particular, residents just care about public safety, education, like pretty basic things. And they feel like they've gone off the rails in recent years and just want to see things work. And certainly the voters themselves took matters into their own hands with the historic recalls that we had. So... Chase Boudin was recalled. Brooke Jenkins is the district attorney now. During her time as district attorney, I think we've seen police officers making more stops, more arrests, and fewer diversions, but not like a huge sea change in the drug dealing that we see and burglaries, thefts, etc. So, you know, what now? How do we actually address crime? How do we actually stop crime in SF? Yeah, I mean, it's all a process, right? We're, we're, it's the building blocks but to make it happen. But when do we get, like, a step? <laughs> I think we... Like a big step. <laughs> we made a big step with Brooke Jenkins becoming the DA because she is committed to, and she talks about how much she is willing to prosecute the drug dealers. And she hired Nancy Tung to be focused on victims, especially Asian victims. And these were things we didn't see previously. So those are big steps. Now, we also need the police department to make the arrests of the drug dealers so Brooke Jenkins can prosecute them. Which they uh, so appear to have stepped up quite a bit. I think 20% increase. So that's that right. But, but then also the police department is facing huge shortages. You know, we're down more than 500 officers. My station that serves the Sunset, the, it's called the Terrebelle Station, there's only 65 officers assigned to it. It sounds like a good number of people, but four years ago it was 130. Mm-hmm. And Terrebelle Station, geographically, is the biggest in San Francisco, and it serves almost 130,000 people, and it stretches from Golden Gate Park to the Daly City border all the way to Twin Peaks. So it's a vast area, and on any given night, there might be only three or four officers covering that huge territory. And how much crime do they see? You know, just two weeks ago, they were chasing after catalytic converter thieves who shot at them, right? So it's... Things are, are real out there. I mean, that's serious, but is yeah. the frequency of crime such that, you know, like what, what would an ideal amount of officers be to deal with just the frequency and, and widespread nature of the crimes that... Well, for, ter- for Terrible Station, for the, its wide geography and being 130,000 residents, you need, at the bare minimum, 95 officers. We were at 130, which, you know, which is good, but at the bone, it's, one, it's 95, and we're down to 65. They're running from hot call to hot call, crisscrossing could take 20 minutes to get from one end to the other, right? And then they, they have to do all the, the top priority hardcore stuff before they can get to, you know, if you and I have a 
garage break-in. Right. And Guardio says he went to Terraval Station to spend some time with the officers there and hear what problems they face, specifically rank-and-file officers, not just command staff. He says they feel a lot of stress because they're being asked to work so much overtime and public opinion is pretty anti-police these days. And Guardio says one issue is hiring and that the police department needs more resources to be able to attract talent. So if people want police in San Francisco, we need to support the police in San Francisco. And, and But like with what? Funding or initiatives? Well, or it's, it's, a, it's a number of things. I mean, funding alone isn't going to do it. You, you could throw as much money as you want at a problem. But if people feel like it's not tenable to be a police officer in San Francisco, no one's going to take the job. Yep. Which is why you only saw 12 graduates <laughs> at the latest uh, police academy. So we need to show potential candidates that San Francisco is a place that values police. We hold people accountable. You have to do your job with the highest standard, but we're going to support you in the sense of the community, the city will value you and your work. So you're talking about culture change, not legislation. I mean, all of it, right? We need to find the resources to actually pay the police officers what they need so they we retain them, but we also need to change the narrative about police in San Francisco, at least. One of the other things that you need to balance as a supervisor, besides the political you know, affiliations on the board, is the interests of your constituents and the interests of the city as a whole, because you were elected by people in a certain mm-hmm. district. You represent those people, but also you're making decisions for the whole city. How do you balance the needs of your constituents or the wants of your constituents, who are the ones who are going to reelect you, with the need for geographic equity in the city? Well, the sunset is going through that right now yep. at 2550 Irving Street. Yep. <laughs> 40% formerly unhoused people, and they need housing, right? 2550 Irving Street is the address of a site in the sunset where a seven-story, 90-unit building has been approved. All the apartments will be below market rate. A neighborhood group has opposed this building for a long time. They appealed it, citing concerns about toxic substances on the site. That appeal was recently denied, and the project will move forward. I I like to say that first thing to correct the housing crisis is to build more housing. And homelessness is housing crisis. Every part of the city needs to play its role in this housing crisis that we're in. So I may lose votes on that. I was going to say, are you worried about that? But... Yeah, but what's the point? Like, this goes to a bigger question of why why do we even have district supervisors? Districts versus at-large elections is a contentious question in San Francisco, which has switched systems a few times. Going to district elections is famously how the city got supervisor Harvey Milk. And Guardio says the diversity that comes with smaller district elections really matters. But critics argue it makes the Board of Supervisors too beholden to hyper-local concerns. We'll get to the rest of what Guardio thinks after a break. Before we go, a reminder that we want to hear from you. We'd like you to have a voice on this podcast, too. Do you have a solution you want this city to pursue? Do you know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send a voice memo or write an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. Cynthia and I have been talking with District 4 Supervisor Joel Engardio. Before the break, he asked, why even have district supervisors? I wanted to dig into that more. I mean, geographically, we're only seven by seven miles. Do we really need 11 districts for a 
geography, this small, this tiny little peninsula, and it kind of balkanizes the city in a way that's not useful or helpful for, you know, creating our best San Francisco, where we need to look at things holistically. When you have citywide races, you always tend to elect moderates. That's why we've only had moderate mayors. For the most part, we had decades. We had a progressive for a blip for one term in the late 80s, but they only lasted one term. But we basically had only moderate mayors for the last 45 years. So we were generally getting more moderate supervisors when elected citywide. So we went back to district elections to try to balance the power. So since 2000, the supervisors have gotten more and more progressive, but now we're at the point with gridlock. Only moderate mayors and a majority progressive supervisors and nothing gets done, always at war with each other. So that's why I think maybe we should rethink and do a hybrid model. Maybe that would help. Isn't that within the power of the people on the board of supervisors to address that gridlock in some way? I mean, you don't get assigned a role of what you have to do when you're a progressive or a moderate and you can only advance those ideas and just have gridlock with the mayor. Absolutely true, but everyone, like, they fall into their tribal politics. This turned into a discussion of what distinguishes progressives and moderates in San Francisco. And Guardio defines it along land use lines. But after some discussion, we agreed that stances on conservatorship, how the city should approach homelessness, and policing also divide progressives and moderates here. I wanted to know how Engardio thinks the board could move the needle on important issues despite those divides, especially with, as he pointed out, a budget deficit looming. Well, I think ultimately it, it comes to each politician, each supervisor has to look inward and decide, is what I've been advocating for working? What are the residents saying? Have they reached the end of their rope? Something's got to give. I just mentioned that $700 million deficit. It's a very scary, scary thing, but it's an opportunity because it's going to force us to make hard, bold decisions that in other boom times we wouldn't make. We are going to be forced to work together on major issues facing this deficit. Can you see a path for making things in this city cost less? And I don't mean like bring rents down. I mean things like why does a unit of cabin shelter transitional housing costs $100,000. Why does a toilet cost more than a million dollars? <laughs> Can you do something about that? We have to roll out the red carpet and cut the red tape, right, to entrepreneurs because there's a vast bureaucracy and a lot of contracts and people who are getting paid and consultants and consult on this. Like We've created like this labyrinth, layers and layers of stakeholders who have to weigh in and get a paycheck on a toilet, right? So like common sense doesn't always prevail because we've built into the system all of these checks and balances. And sometimes for good reason, like San Francisco has been rife with corruption, but the corruption still happened despite the labyrinth of checks mm, and balances. Yes. So, <laughs> so how, how maybe, are those working out for us? <laughs> so maybe we need to reassess and just roll back all the things that are impediment to just getting something done so it's common sense. Consultants sounds like a good one. Like, yeah, it makes sense to have maybe fewer consultants. Uh, you don't want to, I think, get rid of things like RFPs or like weighing who gets what contracts. You, I mean, the city needs to contract out work because it can't do it all itself. What other red tape are we talking about? Well, like, like I'm just thinking about small business and restaurants and yeah. food. And, you know, of course, we want regulation. So 
people don't get sick and die if they eat bad food right. like get E. coli or whatever it is, yes. right? So, not implement so, the so we can, no, we can't <laughs> just, just erase all regulation, but we can certainly dial back regulations that say you can't, you know, serve coffee and, and toast in the same place. Now Do that, we have that? Well, we did. Scott Wiener, thankfully, like, fixed that one. Yes. Oh my God. But there's more. By the way, I checked this and it's real. In 2012, San Francisco had a law in the books that a business classified as a retail coffee shop could serve bagels, but only if they weren't toasted. Scott Wiener, who was a supervisor at the time, introduced a bill to simplify the planning code to make it easier for restaurants. There's more like it. Which one are you going after? (laughs) (laughs) I think what we need now, especially because downtown is so decimated and our merchant corridors are are decimated, we need to make it easier to have multi-purpose businesses where mm-hmm. you under one roof you can do a, a multitude of things mm. right and so th- i think that's the next place where we need to cut all the regulation i mean cut the regulation all the reg- well not all fire codes cut, <laughs> cut the regulation that does not involve keeping people alive <laughs> but the reg- actually that seems like a fairly good breakdown a pretty good summary is right. this a life safety issue no okay then, then why let's we- let them Make toast. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, one thing that I'm really working on is bringing a night market to the sunset, to Irving Street. Well, that sounds fun. So I went to my husband's from Taiwan originally. So we were there in December visiting his family and going through all the amazing night markets in Taipei. And I was like, why can't we have this in San Francisco on Irving Street? Mm-hmm. Now, this would involve like cooking food in the middle of the street. So now I have to talk have many, many conversations with the Department of Health to say, please, Department of Health, don't kill the joy of a night market. Mm-hmm. Please let us cook a chicken skewer in the street. And they're but, like, okay, but we will kill E. coli. Yeah, but as long <laughs> as we, you know, yes, we're going to kill E. coli, but we can still cook a chicken skewer in the street. Mm-hmm. I think people like people will enjoy that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, I, I, so I want to f- create this night market for multiple reasons. One, bring community together. We need more joyful things in San Francisco. We are not a dystopian city. I know this. we started this podcast on such heavy, heavy stuff. And I know we got a lot to fix in San Francisco. And I know there's a lot of problems. But we're a joyful city. And look, we just started. We, we, we have soup, right? <laughs> so like this is, we're whimsical. We're joyful. Like we can't forget that. And a night market's good for public safety. Activates the community. People are out on the street looking out for each other, enjoying, you know, so that's... Things are lit up. Things are lit up. It's, it's great. And then the third thing that Night Market does is it pilots us streamlining the bureaucracy. If we can get someone to cook a chicken skewer in the street and DPH signs off on it, by God, what else can we do? <laughs> right? We've set the blueprint. So that's what a Night Market will do. Let them make do. toast and let them make chicken skewers <laughs> in the street. Yes. Okay. We'll finish with a couple more lightning round style questions. If you were king, supreme leader, omnipotent person of San Francisco for a day, what would you do? Wow, that's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> you have all the power. So you just got to like, like any, super any, mayor. Anything can happen? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Super mayor? <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> I would make the public schools like work so well that no one really needs to or wants to go to a private school. And then I would make it so all the children and grandchildren of longtime residents can live in San Francisco. So create the housing we need in all parts of the city. So 
we can really create our best San Francisco. What is an idea of somebody who might be a political opponent on most things that you really think is great? Oh, Aaron Peskin, no doubt. Aaron Peskin. Sorry, oh, I just I meant like one idea that somebody has proposed who you are. A but since I put the cat out of the bag, let me tell you why Aaron Peskin is yes, so great. Do. Yes, Because he's a, probably the, one of the smartest people at City Hall. And while we don't agree on certain issues, like one thing we do agree on is good governance and, and good budgeting. And now that we're facing the $700 million deficit, that's why I voted for Aaron Peskin to be the board president. I think oh. we need someone to shepherd us through this process so we can fix the budget. We had a few other questions that we ran out of time to ask, so Cynthia went back to City Hall one more time. So how would you rate the state of the city right now? I would say the state of the city is hopeful. I know things are not working. I know people are still frustrated. I know things are broken, but I'm hopeful because we're finally getting the pieces in place to actually try to affect change or, or make change or implement the solutions we need to fix our city. The SF Next project conducted an opinion survey last year and asked residents how well they think the Board of Supervisors is doing. About 12% of respondents to that poll gave the board a good or excellent rating. What is your reaction to that? What do you think of that rating? 12% good and excellent is not a surprise. I mean, it could even be lower and I wouldn't be surprised because residents, and this poll was done last year, and residents were really fed up and frustrated. And that poll was done during an election cycle when I was running against an incumbent. So I remember that poll quite well. And I knocked on many doors and would hear the frustration that people had with our city because for too many years, our elected officials were ignoring what the residents really wanted them to focus on, which is education and public safety. So I can see why when polled, people would give such a low ranking to the Board of Supervisors because they were so out of touch with where the residents actually are. In our first interview, it was Engardio's answer to our last question that really threw Laura for a loop. What keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Wow. <laughs> it, it can be something mundane. I don't know. It keeps me up at I don't night. Know. I don't know. I actually sleep pretty good. I, Great. I'm pretty, <laughs> I mean, I put in long Happy hours and I'm pretty exhausted. So I just sleep through until I got to get up and go do my run around Lake Merced. So, Oh yeah. God, you're a morning exercise person. <laughs> <laughs> We're done here. Interview done. That's what keeps me, that's my meditative time. That keeps me sane. If I do my run around Lake Merced in the morning, oh, I, I feel One like I'm really more productive centered. People. <laughs> <laughs> Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. Send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. We're at sfnext. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. Soup with the Soups is going to continue for two more episodes before we return to other topics. But we have reached out to all 11 supervisors, and we'll keep having these conversations. Coming up on SF Next, Fixing Our City, how should SFPD fill its ranks? What role do unions play in city politics? What's the telltale sign of professional burglars? Find out Supervisor Asha Safai's answers next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. 
Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext.